Bob and Adam in the morning. You made my day, Adam. I just want to call you and tell you that I'm a fan of in the morning. And so my daughter with you every morning. I'm up and Adam in the morning. Coast 104.5, you are up and Adam in the morning. My name is Adam Montiel. With me, Chris Lambert. He is from the Your Own Backyard Podcast. It is good to see you. Yeah. It has been a long, weird time. And then sometimes you go silent, and I'm like, what's up with Chris? Like, I'm dying to get inside your head and dying to know what you've been going through. What have you been going through? (laughs) How long do you have? Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, It's been a weird time. It's been two months of really weird stuff. Yeah. So you were... It's weird because you were kind of dug even deeper into this than more even even more than you ever anticipated. Yes, for sure. And when the, last time you were in here, a couple times we talked about this idea of because you never really sought out to be a quote member of the media or this or that, but it kind of it just kind of embodied what was going on, and that that ended up really kind of helping you with some of this stuff with the subpoena and everything. So we got so much to talk about. How has this been like weighing on you? Because first of all, you were covering every day of the preliminary hearing. Right. It went on forever. Yeah. And you're covering it all day long. And then you go home, you transcribe everything. Yeah. And this is all before even the subpoena. Right. How, what was that element of just the coverage of it and how much of you it was taking um, even before the subpoena? It was really tough. Um, I didn't know what to expect for this. Um, I found out early on that we were not going to be allowed to bring any sort of electronic devices into the courtroom. That means no laptop to type things and no recording device of any kind. And so when it came to taking notes, you're really down to a pen and paper. How good are you at note taking? Not great. And I haven't written that much since high school for sure. Um, any any fact, shorthand or any weird things like that? Um, I, what I started doing is abbreviating words as as much as I could. You know, the word statement is STMT, right? And like as as succinct as I could get it. Sometimes I would go home and read that and go, "What was that word supposed to be? I don't even remember." So, yeah, it was tough to have to try to take down as much as I could that was happening in the courtroom without killing my hand. My fingertips went completely numb by like the third day, and they're still pretty numb. Like my index and thumb are very numb. Um, I think I might have some kind of nerve damage for real in them, but I I managed to take as close to a word-for-word transcript as I was capable of, and a lot of people were asking, how are you getting that much down? And I thought, if you looked at my notebooks, you would see that it's like hardly legible, and I'm just doing the best job I can to not miss a, a single now, word. Now, learning you a little bit, which I'm, I feel so blessed to do, to have you in here, and um, these conversations, when you come in on this show, this becomes a national show. I mean, people tune in from all over the country. I get emails, messages, wow. uh, people like, oh, the, my, my aunt in this state is like, t- when when is he on? So... Everyone, because you know your podcast, and I was saying this yesterday, your podcast is so deliberate and so thoughtful and so produced to your liking that to get you into a conversation where I get to ask you questions and then you you just you know you, you're back with the answer. This is a very rare time to get you like this. <laughs> All right, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's been it's been wild. So you get the subpoena, and right. you're like. Wow. Yeah. What, well, what do well, I do with this? As you said, I, I didn't really answer uh, your first question about the prelim and stuff. Up to the point that I got subpoenaed, which happened, I believe, on August 10th, and the prelim had started August 2nd. So every day that I had been in court up to that point, by the time August 10th came around, I actually called my mom on the way to court that morning, and I told her, I'm about to have a breakdown. This is really wearing on me. I had told my girlfriend, I don't want to go to court anymore. This is so tough. It's grueling. I mean... 
you're in there from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. with a few breaks in between. But I would have to get up because I'm commuting half an hour there and with traffic probably 45 minutes to get up there. I'd have to wake up at like 6 a.m., drive up, spend 9 to 4.30 in the courtroom. Then you get out. By the time I get to my car, you know, I get on the road at 5. It takes me about an hour in traffic to get home because of work traffic. I get home at 6 p.m. and then I transcribe all my notes and put them up on the blog, and it's 10 p.m., 11 p.m. I've got to go to sleep to wake up the next morning at 6 a.m. So every day had been like that. And August 10th, I was like, I've had enough of this. I can't do this anymore. Who do you so. feel the deepest responsibility to to do this? Is it is it the smart family? Is it you? Is it now that you have hundreds of thousands of people who are following along and want to know the next, the latest from your voice because you have been the closest to this? It's a combination of all of those. I felt um, there's been times where I felt almost uh, bitter towards some of the people who are an audience of some kind, but not personally or anything, but I thought I feel like I'm sort of pressured to do this. But the truth of it is, is that I gave myself that option. Like, I don't owe this to anybody. I can take a break and stay home. And then I realized I can't do it because it's really all about me. I cannot stand the thought of not being there one day and not hearing what's being said and not you know missing things there's witnesses getting called it's you're to the so stands. into this case you're so passionate about it it's like yeah you, you have to be fed with yeah it. and i've researched it for so long i've spent three years now researching it that i thought what if somebody who takes the stand is somebody i've been waiting to hear from all this time and i missed that opportunity because i was so exhausted i decided to stay home it's my fault it's i put the pressure on myself and i made myself do it every single day any regrets because you got the trial coming up. I mean, this was like just a workout compared to what the trial is going to be, right? Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I probably, the, the one regret that I do have is that I think that for the period of time that I did go dark and I wasn't publishing my blog daily. I can't wait to I talk probably, about that. I probably still should have been transcribing so that I wouldn't have had this workload because now, and this is a question I keep getting like every minute is are you going to publish the days that you missed? And I will. I will definitely publish those days because I did write them all out by hand. I killed my hand doing it. Um, but it's going to take me a long time to transcribe, and I needed the time to do that. So, I, you know, have some patience with me, but I will get to the days we missed. Isn't it interesting that you take it that far? There's almost something in your brain that's a little bit wired differently because i mean even folks who do this for a living i mean i don't know that they think i need to get this word for word you know what i mean that right so you really dive in deep yeah and it, and it was you know it's frustrating to me because a lot of the media who was there and they, they all did a really good job and i got you know we're all seated together and so i got to know a lot of these people from ksby the tribune the new times and um they're all doing the best job that they can, but at the end of the day, they're sort of relegated to like a two to three minute spot on the news, and you miss a lot of nuance, and you miss a lot of details, and sometimes that's a bad thing because you get some quote that out of context sounds one way, and it's like, well, if you read that whole exchange, you would understand this a lot better, and so for me, it was important to be the one source that was like, I'm going to try to put everything in context so that you don't get confused about what you heard about one thing or another. I know that's important to you, context. In this prelim, really, there's a theme that kind of is strewn along, and that is context is everything. And some of these, especially when you kind of were thrust into the mix here with this subpoena and the defense is talking to you, the defense is talking about you, Yeah, context sometimes gets lost when you can't defend yourself. What was this like when you have like, okay, I got a subpoena. What's going on? What were your feelings? Were you scared? What were you thinking? Um... So the subpoena was served to me at the end of our lunch break that day. It was August 10th, I think. 
And I was sitting in the hallway, and the defense's private investigator walked up to me and said, Are you Chris? And I said, Yes. And she's like, You're being served with a subpoena. And I was sitting right next to Matt Fountain from the Tribune, and he's like taking notes on it. Sure, right. Exchange. she actually what she told me was because you're a witness now you will not be allowed back into the courtroom so you can leave um or you know it's up to you but you won't be allowed to be in the courtroom anymore and i thought okay and i looked over at the court media person and she's shaking her head and so i let the private investigator finish talking and once she was done the media person said actually i just spoke to the judge and he said he needs to rule on this so chris will be allowed back into the courtroom and the, the private investigator was like okay and she walked off and they, I thought, they wanted well, to scare you away they wanted to get you out of there i think at least part of the intention was to not have me be in that room and maybe maybe to not have me publishing daily blogs about it i don't know what their intention was with not letting me back in the courtroom but we were let back in i sat down I didn't take my notebook out because I thought they might kick me out any minute, so we'll see. And the judge ruled. They kind of made their argument for why I shouldn't be allowed in there, and he ultimately like right decided. That, the next thing they talked about was as that? As soon as we walked in from the lunch break, that was the first thing they addressed. And he said, um, you know, he is a member of the media. He has his credentials, and he's doing his job, so I'm not going to bar him. Even if he has been subpoenaed, I'm not going to bar him from doing his job. You're, by all accounts, a shy dude. Are you, like, turning red and, like, oh, my God, they're talking about me in here? It was hard. I, I think I probably sunk down in my seat a little bit every time my name came up because I felt like people are probably looking at me trying to judge how I'm responding. And yeah, it was it was tough. But that part itself was a was one win. In that was where are the, you towards the front of the room, the back of the room? Where are you? So we're all the way to the right side of the courtroom. It's like in a semicircle. Yeah. And so on the when you first walk in, it was all of the smart family. In the center was the public, and they had they had opened up ten public seats every day, and they were going to have a lottery drawing because they thought a lot of people are going to show up and so we'll just randomly give out those 10 seats and instead i don't think they ever filled the 10 public seats it was like two or three members of the public usually per day um susan flores sat by herself in the front row and then the media all the way to the right and there were probably about 10 of us was that weird to be in I mean, that small room all the players are there everyone's in there i imagine the eye contact is is awkward and yeah. it, it must have just been a real kind of tense chunk of hours per day yeah very tense and then you know you walk out into the hallway and between the breaks and we're all just sitting in chairs and it's you know the defendant is right here and then somebody from dateline is right next to them and then an attorney is right here and we're all practically shoulder to shoulder i mean with covid restrictions we're separating by a few seats but besides that there's really nothing stopping you from just walking up to anybody and talking to them what do you mean dateline you you see uh my boy keith morrison no, uh, so Dateline had a producer named Josh Stephanie. Mankiewicz? Uh, Stephanie Barber, I believe, is her name. Lester Holt? Okay, there. all right. <laughs> I do love day. my Dateline. But Dateline had her there every single day. I think they, they sent in a sub for a few days she missed, but every single day someone was there taking notes, so I'm sure they're going to have a, oh, a monster size. Yeah, Megan Healy did out. a th- I don't think I'm... I think it's okay to say that. She's not even there anymore at KSBY, so... No. Yeah, she, but she did a thing for them right before she exited. Oh, okay. She was interviewed for Dateline. All right, we got Chris Lambert here. We're going to come back. We have a ton to get to more about the subpoena. The first thing I want to get to coming up, why you went dark on your social media. People went crazy. I was like, what's going on in his head right now? Where is he at? And because you're so, like, cryptic and, you know, we know each other well here, but, you know, we're not, like, BFFs. And, I mean, I'd love to be your BFF, but, I mean, you know, we're only know each other through this, and I'm texting you, and you, you just... You got your own thing going on, and I totally respect it. I can't wait to get inside your head about why we canceled the social media when we did. Um, if you have a lawyer, 
how you how you paying for this? I mean, you're not taking any money for anything for the podcast. Uh, I'm interested in so much. We're going to come back, talk to Chris Lambert here from the Your Own Backyard podcast. The Kristen Smart prelim is over. Ruben and Paul will face charges for the murder of Kristen Smart. And Chris Lambert's got it all here coming up. It's Coast. It's up and at him in the morning. Chris Lambert, the Your Own Backyard podcast host who was brought right into the mix during the Kristen Smart preliminary hearing, was given a subpoena one day after lunch, and then really everything turned. Were you scared at all? I mean, were you nervous? I mean, I looked, you showed me at lunch what the defense wanted of you, and it pretty much just could have said everything (laughs) besides your elementary school yearbooks. Like, they wanted everything. Yeah, and they would have taken those too if they could have. But right, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can read you the list here. So um, when that private investigator served me with the subpoena, it was a subpoena to testify, to take the stand. And I thought, well, that's not the worst thing that could happen because I'm perfectly willing to answer any questions they're going to throw at me, even though I'm sure their intention is to cast me in a negative light and they're going to ask questions that are going to make me look as bad as they can. The bad part about it was the second part attached is what's called the subpoena ducis tecum. And what that is is a subpoena for... For my records and so here's the list of everything that they demanded that I provide to them um, one all podcasts including recordings thereof written transcripts all photographs video or audio recordings of anyone or anything associated with the Kristen smart disappearance all materials sent to or obtained by Chris Lambert or anyone associated with Chris Lambert or anything under his possession or control relating to the Kristen Smart disappearance, persons related to the investigation of the disappearance, pertaining to persons suspected of being witnesses to or involved in said disappearance, or related to or involved in any purported or potential location of Kristen Smart, or purported or potential allegations related to the location of Kristen Smart. This is still just bullet point one. Oh my God. Bullet point two, all recordings, including full outtakes of the Your Own Backyard podcast, any other blog, production, publication of any nature relating to the investigation of Kristen Smart's disappearance. Three, any communications, however, preserved to and from members of law enforcement and all reports, documents, or other materials generated by or provided to you by law enforcement. All correspondence, memoranda, phone messages, emails, text messages, or any other materials, however, preserved. And any and all documentation whatsoever and specific references to case names relating to court actions in which you are a party or restraining orders which have been issued against you. This, so they had, again, everything. And they just wanted everything, everything. you ever recorded. Yeah. I mean, they, and really this would put a lot of people in, in jeopardy because you took a lot of, you know, phone calls and interviews with folks that you have sworn to the grave that you are not going to divulge. People's right. names, that victims. Was, that was the toughest part for me as I thought this is going to expose so many people who I swore would be anonymous and they were afraid of you know Paul Flores learning their identity but just as much some of them don't want law enforcement to know who they are and I told them I wouldn't pass their name off without their permission but then the details of the things we discussed you know sometimes we'd get to talking and we'd talk about this for a while and they'd tell me about a divorce they're going through or I'd share something with them about that it it, it didn't always have to do with just the case and they want all of it they want all my texts all of my emails and their intention is to comb through those to pull out anything that sounds like it could be yeah. you know, used against yeah. me or to make their client look less guilty. This is scary. Did you think this for a second would have to perhaps happen? 
yeah, I didn't know legally. It's like, do, am I required to give this to them? And and I think worst case scenario, if I refuse, they're going to hold me in contempt. Would you go to jail, jail for this? That was the bottom line was I thought, well, let's try to get an attorney and see if they can get me out of this the legal way. But if they can't get me out of this, there's no way I'm ever going to turn over these anonymous people's names. I'm never going to give up their identities. And if it means I have to go to jail, I'm willing to serve jail time to not give them up. Wow. Because it, it could, you know, it could potentially affect my entire future. Like I, I could certainly never do something like this again if I divulged anonymous people's identities. Um, not that I want to do this again, but it, it just it also didn't feel ethically correct that I would have to do that. It, it would also make a precedent a for other people in the future. Right, and I know? had a lot of people, like privately, a lot of journalists reach out to me to tell me, like, we're all polling for you because this will set a precedent in the future. And um, so what I had to do was I had to hire an attorney. So you did um, get a lawyer. I was going to ask you that next. Found a wonderful firm that deals with First Amendment rights and specifically media. Um, they've represented CNN when they were sued. They represented Netflix. Um, and so we discussed this. What's the legality of this, and what do I do? And they said this is a very broad, very abusive subpoena. They're trying to get everything from you. They're trying to bully you, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. into turning over all this stuff, and they think you probably don't know any better. Thank God you found this attorney. Yeah. Uh, well, how did you... I mean, because you don't accept any money for this. We've talked about this before. Right. How did you pay... How do you pay for the attorney? So I haven't paid them yet. Um, I've, I haven't been billed yet. Um, we, we did discuss. They, they had offered certain services pro bono, but they were saying we could, you know, we could put more resources on this if, if it was paid. Yeah. So it's like, let's do it paid. I had several people offer to start like a GoFundMe for sure. me. And as of right now, I've decided let's hold off until I see what the total cost is going to be. Yeah. It might come down to me having to put up some sort of GoFundMe to uh, get those funds. Um, but I'm hoping that I can pay it off myself because I'd really like to not have to ask for that help. I'd like to take care of it, but it might be out of my hands depending on And I want to talk about that cost. later because we've talked about this idea before because, you know, you are so pure in your desire to present this case without any compensation that, I mean, even in my off-the-air, off-the-record conversations with you, I start to think, am I the jerk? Is that Adam? Are you, are you being... I mean, because, I, look, I'm not saying... I mean, because... You, you 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 have the smarts blessing you have every you know and, and to make a living to is there's nothing wrong with being compensated for your right. hard work and very diligent work again i think with the smarts blessing it makes it just like at least it takes the weight off my shoulders where i would feel like hey if you did a little and got money for the podcast or i mean i want to ask you later about a book and things like that because i think these things but i mean i would hate to have you have to spend that on a lawyer too to defend yourself because you haven't done anything uh you haven't done anything wrong so right. um right we talked about you know advertisements and how i didn't advertise in the podcast right that there are certain parts of it that felt unethical to me or maybe just like gray area but um you're right. I do. I, I don't think there's a lot of people who would be upset if I did that. But now that I've sat in a courtroom and listened to the way that the defense painted what I've already done, which I thought I was doing so ethically and so correctly, I thought, wow, I'm really glad I didn't sell because that would be the first thing they grabbed onto is this guy only did this to make a name for himself. And that's absolutely not true but it would have given them more to grab onto and right now they have nothing yeah i want to talk because there's so many things uh, that the defense kind of brought up now the average person didn't have the hours to go sit nine to five in the courthouse every day so you didn't hear but some of these things that came out like if i were you sitting listening to this i'd be like damn can i speak up can i say something so yeah. we're going to get into that i'm um so curious why you shut everything off you just went dark on social media didn't get it why 
You didn't have to. I didn't have to. Nobody nobody demanded me to, and that's something I should clear up because a lot of people asked, why did they make you stop your blog? Nobody made me stop. What happened was, once I got the subpoena and I saw the stuff they wanted from me, and I wasn't sure what I'd have to turn over and what I wouldn't, I thought, I think the best thing for me to do is to stop blogging right now because all of those words will be used against me if they can be. And also, so the defense made several motions, one of which we should talk about, the purple tie motion. Um, I definitely have that down here. And uh, in that motion, they were taking screenshots from my Facebook and my Instagram and using them as evidence of why they believed that um, there was either collusion or that people were, you know, there were teams. Okay, let's talk about this. The purple tie incident was an. We know we talked about it with Megan Healy Mm -hmm. as it happened, but you and I weren't really talking during the prelim on the air. And this, uh, the defense was like, "Hey." the detective's wearing a purple tie. Uh, the attorney's wearing a purple tie. And the judge was like, damn, shoot, I'm wearing a purple tie. I mean, so, and then uh, it was funny because I had Elon Funky Bealew on this show, and he actually mentioned there was some precedent to this. It didn't get brought up in court, nor did I think the news get clued into this, but Elon tried a case many years ago, a gang uh, murder case, where he was wearing an L.A. Raiders tie, him and, a, and another attorney, and they were doing it just for for you know issues and giggles but um it there there is actually some precedent of this but there's even higher precedent to where i mean look you you, you can't be like no you're wearing a purple tie this is ridiculous right it, it was something that they um they raised at one point they said we've we've noted that the detective has worn a purple tie on several occasions um the prosecuting attorney on several occasions and you know it was not every day it was not like they were exclusively wearing purple but he noted that they were several times and that that was like a dog whistle to convict Paul Flores of murder. And what the purple, I mean, where the purple originated from is that Kristen's favorite color was purple. And so when all the community support started pouring in, the Smart family has suggested, you know, wear your favorite purple shirt. Um, the Village and AG, like Hello Village and Cafe Andrini and a bunch of like these wonderful companies in the Rio Grande Village have decorated the village with purple balloons several times. It's just a way to memorialize Kristen with her favorite color. And so all the people wearing purple ties were trying to do was sort of signify, we care about Kristen. Kristen is the victim in this. This is her favorite color. It's the least we could do to represent her in the courtroom today because her picture is not up on a wall or anything. And so to conflate that, the color of their tie, with anything to do with Paul Flores is just wrong. It's, it has nothing to do with Paul Flores. And it wasn't requested of them. They acted like, well, maybe the Smart family told them to wear purple. No, nobody's telling anybody to do anything. A lot of people care about Kristen. They don't want Kristen to be forgotten in all of this. And often she is. When we're talking about the minutia of this case, Kristen tends to be left out a lot. And that's something that we're trying to correct and i try to correct it myself as well chris lambert is of the your own backyard podcast we're going to come back talk with him really about the instagram effect because obviously we just touched on it here and you are literally seeing your posts be used in court against you we decide we're going to shut everything off but just having the amount of followers you do and the amount of people hitting you up uh there was a tremendous instagram effect that that happened to you um we're going to continue with Chris Lambert of the Your Own Backyard Podcast. It's Coast 104.5. It is up and at him in the morning. Thrilled Chris Lambert is here. He is doing good. What a harrowing time for the Smart family, I have to imagine. What was it like being in there with them? Obviously, you talk to them a lot. Of course, you're not their spokesperson. But just as someone who, who knows them, how and, and my, you know, our hearts always, if you're in mine, have, have always gone out to them. How did they hang in there through this time? 
It's tough to say um, because, like I said, I'm I'm seated with the media across the courtroom from them, so really I can only see them from a distance across the courtroom. And then there was also a weird fuzzy area there because I was designated media, and Kristen's parents were both subpoenaed as witnesses. Um, I, I don't think they're supposed to discuss details of the case with the media. And so even though I'm not doing an interview with them and I'm not publishing anything, there was a line where it's like, it's probably best if we don't get into that sort was of that stuff. Was that weird? Like, all of a sudden, you've been, so very cl- weird. you've been so close with this family for so long, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you feel like this this, this boundary that maybe we, maybe we need to just chill for a minute. Right. And it's, wow. and it's sort of unspoken at times, because nobody, n- nobody told me anything directly about don't talk to the smarts. But, right. Um, and, and I thought for sure, if I do get called to the stand, that is an issue that will be questioned is, what is your relationship to the smarts and how much of what you've done has been directed by the smarts? Or, it, Of course, none of it. And, and at the time that I produced the first, I mean, the first six episodes of the podcast, which were the standalone saga that I was going to tell, I didn't even know the smart family at that time. I had interviewed them, but they were not like people I talked to regularly. Um, they didn't know me from anybody else who had ever interviewed them. There was no relationship or anything. It was only once the podcast came out and then things started to happen and the media started really paying attention, search warrants started happening, that we sort of bonded like, hey, we're in this weird place together now because CBS is knocking on my door and they're knocking on your door and they want comments and I wasn't prepared for this. They've, you know, they've been dealing with this for 25 years on and off, but it was new to me. And so... We, we developed a friendship as time went on, and I really, really care about these people. I really did grow close to them, but there was absolutely no uh, influence over what I produced in the podcast or anything. I'm completely independent, and um, they've been very gracious to sort of let me know from a distance that like whatever I want to do is okay with them. And, wow. Um, so it was tough, just, just trying to gauge their reactions from across the courtroom and not really be able to sit down with them afterwards and say, how do you feel? Um, I would judge just from watching them that this was very, very exhausting and grueling. I mean, the way that the defense went through some of the evidence and oh. some of the things about their daughter. Um, I'm sure you picked up on pieces of it from yeah. either the media or from my blog. They said some really horrible, nasty things about Kristen that were nothing more than rumor that they tried to turn into something bigger than it was. And her parents had to sit five feet behind them and listen to it for hours at a time sometimes and people be questioned about her behavior and her promiscuity and and rumors that she may have been pregnant and all things that have never been substantiated but they're allowed to just bring them out and certainly don't even matter in the end to whether she uh to her what happened to her they they don't matter no they're ultimately i guess trying to raise doubt about maybe this girl just walked out but it's, it doesn't make sense. I mean, 25 years later, you don't cut your entire family off and your friends and everybody you've ever known. You don't leave your identification and belongings behind at 2.30 in the morning and start a new life. This Sanger guy, he's no joke. I mean, he's a... he's. I mean, didn't he like represent Michael Jackson or something? He's a... He knows what he's up to. I I have heard, at at first I heard that he was the attorney that, that got Michael Jackson acquitted, and then the more that I heard about it, it was like he was the sixth chair or something in that case i mean he was yeah, yeah, one yeah. of many many attorneys right right tom massaro um, and some other dudes yeah but i don't really know what his role was in so. that but yes he he is yeah, but he's uh, a big he's a big notorious. he's a big name attorney yes and he's literally going and reaching at all lengths to do anything he can 
which I guess, you know, you talk to Elon, that's, that's literally his job. I want to sure. talk about this Instagram effect. How did social media affect you? Because a defense is looking at your comments and affect using some of these things against you in a way. At some point we talked about already how you had to just kind of, in your mind, just kind of shut things off. Um, even sometimes comments. I mean, you felt at some point that even some comments that would come in on your page, in some way they would be extrapolated where you would be responsible for them or, I mean, what, what is, how is this social media aspect of it weighed on you? Um, it, I, I mean, the weight on me was probably the main reason I decided to shut it down. I think the ultimate goal with shutting the Instagram down was I can't, I'm getting so many questions about what's happening. Why did your blog stop? Why have you been subpoenaed? Are you allowed to go to the courtroom anymore? And it, I mean, I'm talking hundreds of messages every hour. They're just coming in constantly and it's okay because people are curious but I felt like I'm not I probably shouldn't answer this right now so I thought the best thing to do is shut this down until I'm able to respond to this and handle all of it and like you said I have no control over what people comment on my posts so there are times when I see people comment something that's way out of line or just you know some misconception and then it will start a thread where people will start replying to it and it spins out of control to where I feel like okay this is getting this is getting out of hand. Personally, and, how much are you invested? Are you like literally in bed next to your your sweetheart and, and reading these things and agonizing over them? Are you reading on who's saying who's talking smack about me? Yeah, I mean I limit it. I try not to too often, but when, when it's going on, you know, I get a notification on my phone when there's a new comment or message of Oh my god. I'll check Chris, it out. even I don't have that on my phone. Yeah. You got your you gotta turn your notifications off, my man. <laughs> Every time someone comments on something at your phone, your phone is lighting up. Yeah. Your battery must have yeah. like 2% right now. <laughs> well, well, most of the time, I mean, it's it's usually just people liking something I've posted, which is fine, and I just kind of collect those. And, yeah. But every once in a while, when I do see a comment pop up, I'm curious to see yeah, what they're asking. Yeah, of course you are. And, um, but yeah, like I said, sometimes those conversations spin out of control. Sometimes I read the Reddit threads, and they're... Um, God, what are you doing? People are very... Um, well, there's a whole Kristen Smart Reddit. And I'm so sure, it's like, but you... Yeah, I don't. I don't read everything, but I just I, imagine this is this weighs on you because I feel like there's some kinship with you and I in that we're, we're sensitive dudes. And I don't. <laughs> I, if there's a hundred people in a room and and ninety nine of them like me and one of them, you know, doesn't, I'm kind of fixated on why doesn't that person? You know, I, I struggle with those things. And sure. I imagine. I mean, you. I mean, I feel you're even more. You're not as extroverted. I don't know. You seem like a shy dude to me. Yeah. And you, mm -hmm. you're, you're humble. You're sweet. You're a very nice guy. You're very smart. You're very thoughtful. And I think there's a ton more going on spinning upstairs than w you might even be given credit for just by looking at how quiet you are and how reserved you are. Right. But um, I imagine you read these comments and it just, may, it just may take your mind through a spin that you just don't need. Occasionally. Yeah, that does yeah. happen. Um, does your girlfriend ever say, like, shut it down? No, um, not directly, but I can tell sometimes that it's like she can tell that it's bothering me and she's like, why do you even pay attention? And again, like I said, I don't pay attention to every single thing that's, I don't have the time to read through everything that's posted, but you know, a few times a week I'll go to the Reddit and the subreddit and just scroll through and see what are people discussing right now. And it's really hard when somebody does post something that's not accurate or something is sort of not fully the case or they misunderstood something. And then it just starts a thread of people who believe that and start talking about that. And it's like, man, I wish I could step in and shut this down, but it's really not my place to. But on the Instagram, I have that option. Turn off the comments and don't allow that to go. And so that's what I've been doing mostly right now just because I feel like a lot of times it's so unproductive. And there's other places where people can discuss it. And um, Insta threw out a new... Um 
feature too of late where you can put in search words or like keywords and if these come in they're, they're for people like you who have a lot of followers and want to kind of not have certain comments kind of make their way to you mm-hmm. but um you can go through certain words certain phrases and certain things like that certain algorithms and it will catch it like a net so they don't wow. they don't show up so you can check that out because that's kind of of late on insta um we got chris lambert here we're going to come back there are some things that went down in the courtroom that i know because in the moment you had no way of defending yourself and these were things that scope from the spectrum of being just blatantly untrue or misunderstood and i want to get to these coming up next witnesses saying um did did a witness say oh he told me not to talk to the cops and uh the sheriff's giving you information to leak and we're going to dispel all these things and we're going to talk about them i can't wait to get your opinion on them coming up coast 104.5 thank you for being up and adam in the morning my name is adam Montiel. chris lambert the your own backyard podcast is up and at him answering any and all things and he went on his instagram yesterday uh tagged me i mean i think i got like a hundred more followers and things just when the uh-huh. moment you did that i noticed something was going on you have an insane following because they really respect the way you have followed this case done right by the smart family done right by just you just have like i mean especially when you consider how true crime is like blowing up and you have all the people like you know like uh, lady I fancy listens to like the my favorite murder podcast but it's like oh we're doing tours we're doing this like it's very much a for-profit kind of endeavor and like god bless you know welcome yeah. to America it's all good but you have just been so you've dove into this so deep and so personally and haven't asked anything for it so to have things said in the courtroom about you that you know just rub you the wrong way they're not fair they're not truthful it i mean it really must have tested your strength i remember you saying earlier in this conversation you even called your mom one time on the way down uh, up to the courtroom it was and it's like I, i'm about to break did did you ever do you cry a lot do you ever did you ever cry or you ever moved in that way i mean i i feel like my mom was always like don't be afraid to cry and i, I if a bad if a crazy episode of this is us i'll start crying i, I just have <laughs> been that kind of dude did, yeah. did this move you to, to that at times you know i i I'm not able to cry very easily. I I wish I was, and um, I haven't cried through this whole thing. And I I think that it would help me a lot if I could. But no, That's and, and yeah, it's just letting people in my life know. Like I I think I'm maybe on the verge of losing it a little bit, and I might. Uh, I, I thought at most I might just need to spend a few days in my bedroom with all the doors closed. Um, that's how I tend to handle things. Is let me just shut out for a bit and be quiet and not pay attention to what's going on. But um, Are you able to bounce back from that? Do you worry that can spiral into something? Because, I mean, I don't think I would ever handle something that way. I have a great support system, and, yeah. and there are so many people in my life who are letting me know, like, you're going to be okay. We want to do what we can do Good to help. You. And so, no, I luckily have not been – it hasn't been that bad. But it's certainly – I mean, I'm I'm privileged to say that that going to court every day, 9 to 5, is – out of the ordinary for me because I don't usually I don't have a day job like that and so I know the average person is putting in a lot more hours than I am for sure but this was hard for me it was it was something I wasn't used to and so just the action of going to that courtroom every day and sitting in there for as long as I was taking as many notes as I was that was wearing on me and that's my own issue that's just I'm not cut out for that kind so of interesting work. you never thought you would be considered a media a member, a journalist. No. And in the end, this kind of embodiment encapsulated you, and it ended up doing you a great service. 
Yeah, ultimately, I mean, I like I said, I, I had found a great attorney, and uh, she came up to represent me in the courtroom, and she she basically laid it out there. He's got these First Amendment rights as a journalist, and the defense argued against that. Um, I think they accused me of, uh, like, quote, wearing the cloak of a journalist, which I don't I don't really understand fully what they meant, but. Um, basically, like, like, that, you're, that like, like it's a facade. You pretend, right? Like I'm pretending to be a journalist, and yeah. I have been for the last two years or a so. Cloak, like, like very, you're almost wearing it, like you're using it as, for your advantage right now. Sure, right. And, Ooh, um, bugs me. Yeah, and and I have been very modest since the beginning about referring to myself as a journalist because yeah, my first we thought is about, you've never wanted to do that. Yeah, when you, when I'm in a room with a real journalist, somebody who's gone to school and done this their whole life, for me to call myself a journalist almost feels insulting to them, and so I tried to reel it back and go, you know, I'm not really a journalist. You're trying but, to be deferential, right? But you, there's there's no there's no way to argue that what I did didn't accidentally thrust me into journalism. Yeah, that's it's, absolutely I right. created a journalistic endeavor and. Um, it got a wide, like, massive following that I didn't expect, and I am a journalist, and so ultimately the judge ended up agreeing that as a journalist I do have First Amendment rights, and that anything I've chosen not to publish cannot be required of me to publish. And that was lucky because, like you said, all these anonymous sources and all these people who had come forward to me um, are still protected, and that's... As the judge said, this would put a chilling effect on the whole industry of journalism because every journalist would have to disclose, hey, anything you share with me, even off the record, I may be subpoenaed for someday and I might have to turn over everything and then no one would ever want to talk. And so it's a bad precedent to set. Not a lot of people have the ability to watch this for so many hours from inside the courtroom uh, like you did. Um, And because of that, there were things that were brought up that really kind of just, you know, just didn't sit well with your spirit. It was like, no, that you, you got me wrong here. This is not right. This is not. But you really can't stand up and say anything. You have to honor the decorum of the courtroom. Uh, there was something about a witness saying, oh, did, did Chris tell this witness not to go to the cops? What happened in that specific case? And I got a couple more after this to ask you. Sort that one out for me. Yeah, I mean, without getting into it too much, because I haven't told this story before, um, this was a witness who now uh, their story is public from the courtroom, so I feel like I can share a little bit of it, who um, I guess years back had confessed to her roommate that Paul Flores had told her he killed Kristen Smart and told her where he put her body. And Is this the Wozna one? Yes. Okay. And so she was she was terrified. At the time that it happened, she was 17 years old. Um, she had moved out of her parents' house. She was living with a boyfriend. It, it was a really scary time for her, and so she didn't tell anybody ever. And then when she told her roommate, I think sometime around 2002, um, they, they were drinking and she sort of opened up to him and let him know that. Well, he went and he submitted an anonymous tip online. And for 15 years, that tip was completely anonymous. Nobody knew who had submitted that. So it's like, well, how do we find out if this is true or not if we don't know who it is? So all I did was I put it in one of my episodes and I read it out loud and I said, if you know who submitted this tip, please reach out to me. Well, someone reached out and they said, hey, I'm the guy who submitted that tip. My cousin heard your episode. He called me. I don't even live in California anymore, but he called me. I listened to it, and that was me, and I want to try to connect you with the woman who told me this. And he was trying to put me in touch with her for a long time. She was very, like, did not want to speak. She felt very guilty that she had held on to this for so long, and she felt like, well, now, if they, let's say they search that place, and that is where her body was, I'm going to feel so guilty that I sat on this. I, I don't know if I can handle that. And she had also told me on multiple t- multiple occasions when we did speak that she was very afraid of law enforcement and had no interest in speaking with law enforcement. And so what happened was um, 
she and I discussed it. I, I asked her, like, do you know where this spot was that he said he buried her? She said, you know, I haven't been back to Wozna for many, many years. Um, let me look at, like, a map or let me look at Google Maps or something. And she said, if we drove out there, I could show you because I would remember if, if I saw it in person. So we arranged for her and her roommate and me to drive out to Wozna. And what she's going to show me where she believes it happened. We couldn't get there because there's gates out in Wozna that stop you. So we went down a dirt road. We stopped at a gate. And all that she told me was, I think it's past here. There was a house up there, and Paul Flores said, she's buried under my skate ramp, and it's at this house. And he, she thought it was his house. So I said, well, I'll, you know, I'll look into the real estate behind it. I'll see if I can find if there's any connection. But as far as I know, they don't have a place out here. So I don't really know if there's any uh, substance to this. I but wondered of that. We'll like, what do you mean it. my skate ramp? Because I thought of that when I heard that. I was like, what What did you find out? Did they have a place out there? What, what was a skate ramp? You, you know, I never really, uh, like, I I kind of did my due diligence, I think. I never found a connection. I never really established a connection. But what happened was her roommate got really excited by this. He's like, oh man, we have the key to solving this case. We think Kristen's body might be out here. So he started telling everybody. He started emailing people saying, hey, we've got this this tip and we want people to know it. Um, so I'm, I'm preparing for like, am I going to make this a new episode? What am I going to do with this piece of info? And in the meantime, he went to the sheriff's department. They found out that we had talked and stuff. And we sat down and we talked about it and they said, did you go out to this location with her? And I said, well, we went as far as we could. I, we didn't get, we never saw a skate ramp if that's what you're asking, but no, we went up a dirt road and I'm still trying to figure it out. Like there's, if I can get some good aerial photos or maybe like find out some way to establish that there was a skate ramp there. Drone! I'm really interested in drone footage, whatever you can get. And so at some point, all of this got back to her and she's starting to get really freaked out. I think she was already freaked out before it came to this. She doesn't want to talk to cops. She doesn't want to talk to cops. And, um, um, and she's afraid that she sat on this info for too long and may have uh, been guilty if they did end up finding her out there. So what the de- what the sheriff's department said was, please don't put this story in your podcast. We're asking you politely. You can do what you want because you're a journalist, but we're asking you politely. Can you not share any of this in your podcast? I said, of course. Yeah, because you want to do Shut right by down. the case. Told them everything that we had done. And they said, great. Thanks. We'll handle it from here. They tried to get a hold of her for a long time, and they were unable to get a hold of her. I don't know if she was returning their calls or what was going on, but they had told somebody, and her roommate had told me they keep trying to call her, and she's not calling them back. I don't know what she's doing. And so I had called her, and I said, I met with these detectives. I know that like early administrations of the sheriff's department really mess things up. I know that like there's there's a history here of them not being trustworthy. These guys that I met, they're good people. They're they're trying their hardest to solve this, and they really want to talk to you. All you have to do is tell them everything you told me. Tell them exactly what you remember from what happened. And what I said was, make sure you differentiate between anything that you've learned since, because her roommate is talking to everybody by this point, anything that you've learned since, and your actual memory from 1996, and don't conflate the two. She was great with that. I mean, she, I think she felt a lot better. She's like, got you, got Chris. Got to thank you. Bye. Somehow between that and when she actually sat, sat down with the sheriff's department, she got either spooked or had spoken to her roommate again and got the impression that I was asking her not to talk to the sheriff's department or that I was asking her to hide certain things from them. Ugh. Not at all. I mean, I had at that point a lengthy discuss- discussion with the sheriff's department about everything that had happened between us. She and I had only spoken twice. We spoke once on the phone and then we drove out to Washington. you want to call her after this and be like, "What? Ha- can you? are you allowed to call her now? I almost want to call her and be like, I don't what? want to, you know, because, because <sighs> at this point, this and that was one of the hardest parts is like, 
I wish I could straighten this out, yeah. but th- that's going to get used against both of us too. And so on the stand, they really bullied her. They really pressured her to say that I had asked her to lie or that I had given her info and she had added it to her story. And she was adamant that did not happen. But the more that they pushed her, she she did say on the stand, well, I felt like there were things he didn't want me to share with them. And so Ooh. then they got the detective on when the stand. You, were you in the room then? Of course, yeah. What, what, tell me that moment, day. that moment, your stomach. Tough. I mean... I was probably, socked in the stomach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and wanting to kind of you know raise my Hello? hand and be like, that's Can not I what something? I said. Right. Can I say something here? But, but I got lucky because they did. They called the sheriff's detective who interviewed her, who she told that to to the stand, and they said, "Did she tell you this?" And he said, "Absolutely, she told me that." But I think there's a perfectly innocent explanation for that. Oh, okay. And they said, "What is that explanation?" And he said, "I think that this was the first time Chris had been confronted with." Hey, you spoke to a witness, and she is now speaking to us, and we need you to be really careful to not taint her memory or anything. Mm. And I think that he was just trying to do everything the right way. And since then, there's been several people that I've spoken with that when they come forward to me, I say, I'm just going to put you in touch with the sheriff's department, because if we talk too much, they're going to try to argue that I'm tainting your memory in some way. And I was very careful not to do that, especially with this witness, but she did get the impression that I was trying to get her to hold certain things back which is really unfortunate because that's the last thing i would ever want if you ever and see her like you know at a foster's freeze or or anywhere are you gonna like say hey you know come on like Wah. no because because i don't blame her I, sure. I i understand that she was nervous and what i the way that i approached her probably made her more nervous and there were probably ways i could have gone about it that would have reassured her you're doing the right thing and there's nothing wrong here but i think the impression that i might have given her is you know be really careful and just tell them the truth and don't add any other details into that and she uh took that to mean don't tell them that we drove out to wasna which is not true because again, I told them that we drove out to Wasna. They already had all the information, so there was nothing that she knew that was going to yeah, be news to totally them. Totally see how and that could so be. It, it w- yeah. But it was hard to listen to in the courtroom and then have the media report one sentence from that <clears throat> and have it look like, oh no, maybe Chris has done this. Maybe he has been asking people to hide things or whatever. And <sighs> of course, that's been the the exact opposite of my goal this entire time. Of course, time. and when and, it's been proven. So. And, and what doesn't come out is that every other person I spoke to who was questioned on the stand was like. There was nothing. I mean, we had one conversation. He pressed the record button. We talked for an hour. He stopped recording, and that was the end of our contact. Yeah. And he didn't th- – there was no – so what they tried to argue is that I was attempting to influence a witness, which would be a crime, they said. And Damn. Um, so th- they had actually offered me, before I was able to get out of it with my attorney, they had offered me the chance to just plead the fifth. <laughs> That you can get, you can plead the fifth if you want, because you are being accused of a crime. And what I thought it would was, look horrible. I would rather take the stand. And I mean, good for again, you. because I'm not hiding anything, and I didn't do anything wrong. I'm happy good to answer you, all of your questions, but I'm not going to take the fifth Hell because yeah. optically, that looks like I'm hiding something and I'm guilty. And I would rather just take the stand. And even once my attorney was there and arguing for me, I thought if the judge rules no, he has to take the stand. I'm still not going to take the fifth. I will absolutely take the stand before I do that. Fist bump across the table. <laughs> That's my man. I love it. Chris Lambert here, the Your Own Backyard Podcast. Going to come back ask you uh, another one. Another one that, um, what did Chris Lambert, was he leaking info for the officials? We'll talk about it coming up. Coast 104.5, you're up and at him in the morning. My name is Adam Montiel. Chris Lambert is here. He is of the Your Own Backyard Podcast. And during the preliminary hearing for the Chris and Smart case, he stayed relatively quiet, even so much as shut down his social media and you know not all folks were able to be in that courtroom from uh, nine to five all day long how many weeks 
gosh, I lost count. It was, uh, it, I think it was two months in total, but they had some breaks in between there. Uh, 22 actual court days. I love how you dispelled and really spelled out that witness situation we just spoke on. There was talk in the preliminary hearing. Did, did Chris Lambert leak info? from the sheriff's department i'm fascinated by this story here tell me where this came from and what actually happened because this has to do with one of your later podcasts and the trucks that 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 picture that set everyone ablaze of the trucks of the florence family right um so the way that it came out in the courtroom was the defense you know they received eighty thousand pages of discovery and they pulled out one sentence and they said you gave misinformation to chris lambert regarding the trucks and so the media is all kind of scratching their heads what does that mean and so who gave you that who are they saying um the sheriff's the sheriff's department right so so it got reported and then i think it got discussed online multiple times and then people start speculating what kind of misinformation and um all kinds of things that came out but that was as much as they elaborated on the courtroom so i don't you know i don't know what's in their files i don't know what's in discovery but all i know is that to put me in that position where I can't speak up for myself is very uncomfortable and it makes it look like maybe there was something illicit going on here and so it's like I'm happy to discuss Like you were being a pawn the details. for the for the uh, Exactly. Yeah. And or, also or, I mean, or that I was colluding with them and that we were both working together to do something which you know none of that is true. And obviously you have shown to want to do right by the investigation thus the authorities the smart family all of it but you're not going so far as to sacrifice your own integrity to put something out that wasn't true. So talk about this idea with the trucks and how this all uh, kind of came up and what people thought and then what it really was. Sure. So what happened was while the podcast was airing, it started coming out September of 2019. It came out through all of October and it wrapped in November with the first six episodes. And like I said, that was going to be the entire saga was just those six episodes because it brought you up to present day and nothing was happening. So it was like, there we go. That's it. And maybe nothing ever will happen. Well, at some point in October of 2019, and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes because the sheriff's department doesn't share secret stuff with me. They don't tell me what they're doing. But at some point, apparently, they were working on collecting a truck that had belonged to the Flores family, and they had finally located it. Somebody had bought it and was driving it, and um, it was in another state. And they collected it. Well, what happened was, because the podcast was so popular at that point, several people who had learned that information or found that out from you know, the owner of the truck, the tow company, everybody involved. They start sending me emails saying, hey, did you know that the sheriff's department got a truck that belonged to the Flores family? And so after getting like the second email, I thought this must be true. I don't know who's telling me this, but... Um, And then I sat on that. Of course, that was information that I didn't know how sensitive it was. I didn't know what was going to come about, so I sat on it. Um, At some point, the sheriff's department agreed to do an interview with me. I think they were very standoffish at first. Uh, November of 2019, we sat down and talked, and they were defensive of their position. I was asking a lot of questions they didn't want to answer and stuff. But once you we guys talked, are still feeling each other out, totally, oh, they're feeling you out totally. And and it was a very like, it was that kind of situation. Are you a good guy or a bad guy? Are you? I was wondering. It's like, are you guys covering something up? Is there some grand conspiracy where you're protecting Cal Poly and the Flores family? I didn't know what was going on, and they didn't know who I was and what was going on. So, we got to know each other, and it it became pretty clear that it's like I think we're on the same team here. I think you guys are really working hard. You seem dedicated to me. Um, they seem to think, like, you're just telling the story as it is. I mean, maybe you said some stuff about us that we deserve, and maybe you said some stuff that wasn't fair, and if you knew the whole story, you would take it back. But you're just doing your job. So we got to know each other in that way, and I had I had just offered to them, you know, 
if there's anything I can say in the podcast or anything you want to get out there that might be beneficial to the investigation, let's talk about it. Like, I'd be happy to do it. And I think they were very hesitant to do that because they're like, we're not going to give you some kind of scoop to leak. Um, So they didn't talk to me for a few months. And then what happened, and I've only learned some of this since in the courtroom, apparently they placed wiretaps on the Flores family's phones and they're listening in on their conversations. So they had had some kind of meeting at the sheriff's department and discussed, do we want to take him up on this offer? Do we want him to say anything in the podcast? And I don't know how it was decided, but they had called me and asked, you know, could we share some info with you that's completely true? And you put it out in the podcast because it would be beneficial to our investigation. And that's all they told me. Sizzly. No idea what they're talking about. So I said, of course, let's talk. Yes. So they called me in and we talked about it. And they told me, you know, off the record, we did collect one of the Flores family's trucks recently. And I already, like, you know, I already knew that from these emails, but I didn't tell them I knew it. So it's like, okay. And they said it would be beneficial for us if the Flores family found that out. And so do you want to say. So the cops want. The sheriff's department wants the Flores family to, quote, just find out in the, in the, in the scene, on the streets, that, hey, we got one of your trucks. Right. And what, do they not own it anymore? I mean, if it's... No, they didn't. And it, uh, it, they had sold it years back, okay. and somebody else had bought it, and then someone else had bought it. Crazy. I don't know how many owners it went through, but they located it through VIN number searches or something. So did you ever think, oh, what if the cops are playing me? Do you really have this truck? Like, what, how did you deal with that? Yeah, of course. Like, that was one of my first thoughts is, are they doing this to try to discredit me? Are they giving me false information? And so what we discussed was they, they had offered, we'll show you the trucks, just so you know that we actually have them. You can look. We'll, we'll even, take you to the truck? Yeah. They're like, we'll even let you take pictures This of is it. how you have those pictures. Right. Whoa. And so th- the way that I laid it out in the podcast is that, and, and all this is true. I mean, it really depends on how you No, I remember this. It up. You said an anonymous source, a source that you couldn't name, sent you the pictures. Absolutely. Well, well, not that they sent me the pictures, but they told me oh, right. where the truck was located exactly. and I right, went right, and got right. the I'm pictures. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. All that's true. It is. And what's not told to you there is that the anonymous source was the sheriff's department no way so they told me where the trucks were located they were you know they're behind a fence i I couldn't get too close to them they're they're in like some kind of holding yard and they said those are the trucks right there take as many pictures as you want um it's ruben flores truck yeah they're all kind of on that flatbed or they were what were they doing Uh, no they're just in a yard and i think by that point they had already been searched for dna or like maybe taken apart and sent in and then Reassembled. I really don't know the process of what happened. I just know that they showed them to me, and it was like, yeah, those are definitely the trucks. Um, and so, of course, I put out this episode where I said, I learned from an anonymous source that the trucks were there. I went and got pictures of the trucks, and that was the end of it. And how it came out in the courtroom was that the sheriff's department had given me misinformation. So what people have started speculating on was, was Chris lied to? Was Chris used? Or was he part of the lie? Oh. And it's like, well, there's... I mean, there really is no lie there, except that the source was anonymous. And even that, you know, like I said, I did get anonymous emails from people who were actually involved with that truck before the but sheriff's anonymous department doesn't, told me. By my definition, from you being a journalist, anonymous doesn't necessarily mean you don't know who they are. That's right. Of course you know who they are, because you're freaking talking to them that's right but it's anonymous they are remaining anonymous as far as your publication yeah and i i would have never released 
that information had it not come out in the courtroom. Really? Because it came out in the courtroom and they're saying this, it's like, well, of course, now everybody knows. You you gave me the info about the How trucks. How many other twists like this are there? That you, I mean, <laughs> come on, because I, you and I talked about this a little bit before, but I had no idea this was the twist that would take. Yeah. Are there a lot more of these that we're going to find out about, you think? I don't know. Uh, I mean, certainly not that I was involved with. I yeah. think um, this was one instance where I thought... Um, the benefit to them is apparently that they're investigating this and they think it would be important for the Flores family to find out that the trucks were collected, but they can't just put out a press release saying, hey, we've got these trucks. So they want it to come out through me. And I didn't know, like I said, until this month when, we're, when it came out in the courtroom, that was because they had wiretaps on their phones and they were hoping that they would talk about it. I, to this day, don't know the results of that investigation. I don't know what they got out of it. All I know is that the way that they asked me to present it was to just not say that it came from the sheriff's department and I did exactly that. I sat on the information and then it's made public in the courtroom and it puts me in sort of a tough position where I can't say anything. So now that the prelim is over and we're going to trial, it's like I don't think it's uh I don't think it's fair to have to stay silent about that when it's already been made public and it's making things confusing. And so there's no lie. That's what it comes down to. There's no lie. And when it comes to misinformation, it's really only misinformation because I said it came from an anonymous source and really I knew who that anonymous source was. And uh, Yeah, but I don't look at that as misinformation. You were just trying to keep a source anonymous, which you've yeah. done with a, which which you've done for with a lot of people. Right. I certainly would never have used the word misinformation, but if that's what was in the discovery, and I don't even know that. Well, that word's getting overplayed right now. It just very in, well could have been yeah. that the defense attorney worded it that way because there were a lot of things um, in the course of the prelim, there were a lot of things that the defense attorney mischaracterized multiple times that the judge had to finally call him out and say the witness didn't say that you said that you know they didn't say this word you said that word and he would have to correct himself so i don't know if that was um intentional on his part to try to muddy the water or if he genuinely stumbled over some words he also you know once i got my attorney there he made several allegations that i had flown a drone in the presence of a witness and that never ever happened ever i've never flown a drone in the you gotta fly drones it's so much fun I would love to. I love drones. I'll fly a drone (laughs) over one of your witnesses. I just love drone flying. It's so much fun. But the way that that came out, that I had flown a drone with a witness, it's like, where did you even get that from? But then he also suggested at some point that I had emailed questions to a witness and the answers that I wanted them to give me. And I don't even understand what the benefit to that would be. Like, as if I know what the best answers would be to questions. Did you ever meet I, eyes with this singer guy? I mean, this would frustrate me. You're being painted in a in a way that's just like not you. Did you ever meet eyes with him no. in, in down these hallways? No, not or anything? Really. I mean, you know, we'd walk past each other in the hallway and, and he'd kind of avert his eyes. And would I you don't tr- even know if he knew who I was, honestly. I don't of know course, if he knew oh, which person Chris, in the courtroom I he was. Knew, of course he did. Maybe. Of course, he's a savvy dude. But, he knows exactly who you are. But he's, you know, he's, he's trying to paint the podcast in a light to to best explain why his client is being wrongfully accused of this crime. And so I got thrown into this lump of what he described as unending publicity on the Kristen Smart case. He said, from day one, the publicity has never ceased. And if you've lived on the Central Coast, you know for a fact that between the years of like 2000 and 2019, Kristen's name only came up when they dug up the Cal Poly P in 2016, when that was a huge story. Or on anniversaries, and they would anniversaries, show the, the billboard. Anniversaries, they'd have a KSBY story that lasted a minute long. Yeah. Um, 
in so my podcast I live here aired, I know it I know it you're right yeah my podcast aired in September 2019 May 25th of 2019 which would have been the 23rd anniversary of her disappearance I went to her memorial point and we had a vigil and we announced it to KSPY they showed up with cameras nobody came to it not a single person came to it my mom came my girlfriend came a friend of ours came uh-huh. nobody else came so much for unending publicity Exactly. You cannot argue that this case was talked about constantly. I have, you know, the binder that I printed of every single newspaper article that was ever written about Kristen Smart. That's how I researched this case. 1996 is a fat section. 97, a little less. 98. By the time you get to 2015, 2016, there was nothing until that Cal Poly dig. Right. It was drying up in the media, and the only reason I made a documentary about this case was because I felt like we're not talking about this girl enough, and she's still missing on the Central Coast. Regardless of who it is, there's somebody missing in our hometown, and we should be talking about it until she's found. Between you and I, nothing at the Cal Poly dig? Nothing? No one's listening. Just you and I. I don't know. Nobody ever told me. What I do know is that it didn't come out in court and as far as i know they they certainly didn't find anything of Kristen's. okay um i think that that was a that was a we haven't checked this off the list yet so let's get it done maybe Makes it's sense. a good place to search but i don't think they really had any intel that she was ever there got some questions that have come through your instagram we're going to get two of them we have chris lambert here he is from the your own backyard podcast more coming up Coast 104.5, up and Adam in the morning. Adam on Teal. Chris Lambert is here. He is from the Your Own Backyard Podcast. We are getting deep. We are getting deep. This is so, you having fun? I mean, you're okay? You're oh, everything's yeah. good? Yeah. I love great. our conversations. And I feel like, and someone told me this, and I take it as a great compliment, that, you know, they've heard you here or there, maybe Congleton, maybe this or that, but like they feel like they get more meat on the bones with you here. And I, I just love that. I, I just, I think you and I have a nice rapport. You're awesome. And I thank you for being so generous with uh, your conversation and with what you have dove so passionately into. Uh, this came from one of your followers. What was the most haunting moment in the courtroom during the prelim? Yeah. Um, that's like, that's really easy actually. Um, so I don't know when this will be released to the public if ever it might come out in the trial or something but they they put a lot of stuff on the projector that the media wasn't allowed to take pictures of or anything so all the stuff that we saw projected in the courtroom um i i I can't wait for the public to be able to actually lay eyes on some of this stuff because it is persuasive evidence and one of those things as we now know um there was an excavation under ruben flores's deck in march of this year and what they uncovered was a four foot by six foot disturbance in the soil in the ground penetrating radar data they dug, and as they dug down, they thought, you know, there could be a body here. So they went slowly. They used brushes, like in Jurassic Park. They've, they might be sure. hitting a skeleton, so they want to be careful. Well, what they found was staining. And what they mean by staining is there are darker parts of the soil that look, you know, kind of moist. And they described it as like a bathtub ring. So you, if you look at the circumference of the circle they're digging or the, the square they're digging, there's this ring that goes around certain parts of it that looks like something was leaking in this spot. Well, once they dug all the way down and they didn't find anything in there, they thought, well, the source has clearly been removed because something was leaking down here. Whatever it is, it's not here anymore. They scraped off pieces of that staining. They collected it. They sent it in for testing. That ultimately tested positive for the presence of hemoglobin, which is found in human blood and so ultimately they ruled i think they tested it like six different times or something it's human blood with the exception they cannot rule out that a primate or a ferret would give a false positive reading because they have similar human but stop it the floors weren't keeping ferrets or of course not primates of course not and and that was something that the defense tried to bring up a few times maybe if it wasn't a ferret it was a skunk 
And I think that's them trying to, you know, let's get as close to ferret as we can without sounding absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, skunks aren't four feet below the ground. Right. And they also, you know, they're not listed as a ferret. That's right. Like, yeah, they're exactly. separate species. But so essentially it looks and the judge just ruled there's a strong suspicion that there were human remains buried under Ruben Flores's deck. And in all likelihood, because of his behavior and everything we know, it was likely Kristen Smart's remains, but yeah. it's not there anymore. And so what they did was they put pictures on the projector of that excavation one layer at a time we're digging down here we're digging down and then you see the first stain appear and it's just a little you know a few inches and what are we looking at here and the archaeologist would say this is the beginning of the staining about two feet down well once they dig down to about four feet underneath the soil you have this clear impression this six foot by four foot impression in the dirt the way that I would describe it is like if you laid down on dry dirt and we poured water over your body and then you stood up, the the soil that you were laying on would still be dry, right? Right. And the soil outside of it would still be dry, but there would be a ring in the shape of your body. Oh. Well, you can't see clearly enough that it was a human body. It wasn't like such a smoking gun where you're like, boom, that's it. But what we did see on the projector was a clear, a clear ring around something six feet long. Oh. That was... So not a ferret. <laughs> Definitely not a not ferret. a primate. Definitely not a primate. Wow! And, and so it was left on the projector for a while, and it really sucked the air out of the room. I mean, everybody in the courtroom was holding their breath. Yeah. The media stopped taking notes for a while. The smart families like sniffling. I think some oh. of them had to get up and leave the courtroom. It's like we are looking at what is most likely the impression that's left from their daughter's body having been under the deck of the person that they thought was responsible the whole time. We're looking at it on the courtroom wall. It was chilling. It was, oh. And um, I, I was glad because I wasn't publishing my blog at the time. Ava Kirshner, who was representing the Cal Poly Mustang News, she drew a picture of it in her notebook just so we could get like a, a description. And she tweeted about it and she said, it's worth noting here that the Smart family were sniffling, like everyone in the courtroom, like the atmosphere changed. And it was so accurate that... It was the, the moment in the courtroom that, of everything that happened there, I'll never forget that moment. We're looking at what might be the closest we might ever get to seeing the remains of Kristen Smart is the outline of where she could have been. It was really tough. Which was is really illustrative of our last conversation where we're talking about um, Kristen's father, Stan, standing over the property line, looking 60 feet, say, away from... And four and a half feet above where this moment, where this was. Where this stain was, and in all wow. likelihood where his daughter probably was at that time. That's heavy. That's really heavy, and that's what... Wow. This is... Um, it's big stuff. We've got, uh, we got, we got Chris Lambert here. Chris Lambert is of the Your Own Backyard podcast. Uh, where are we now? Okay, let's, let's do some quick hits. Where are we right now? The prelim is done. Trial is coming up. We have an arraignment, right? Right. And arraignment is where 20th. they plead guilty, not guilty. So they're going to plead not guilty. Sure. Yeah. And it will. And then the and then the actual trial will be scheduled. So a lot of the questions I've been getting on Instagram now is when does the trial start? We don't know. Um, where is it going to be? We don't know. How long is it going to last? We don't know. Really, nothing has been determined yet. All that's been determined in the prelim is that the judge ruled that there's enough evidence to believe that they're guilty of the crimes they're being charged with for it to move forward to a trial. That's all we know at this point, is that it's going to move forward to a trial. 
Um, but we don't know any of the details yet. The defense is likely going to push for a change of venue. They're going to argue that San Luis Obispo County has been tainted by all the unending, as they describe it, publicity. Over Which the contradicts what they're saying, because if it's unending publicity, no matter where you take this case, people are going to know about it. Right. And, and because this case is nationally known, it will be hard to find a place where pulling a jury is going to be difficult anywhere. But here's the, the argument that I've been making, because people will comment and they'll say, how are they ever going to find someone who doesn't know about this case here? There's a lot of people who don't know about this case here. And the best argument that I had for it is, if you remember in 1994, 95, when the Bronco chase happened, remember? This was the most televised event in history besides, like, the moon landing. Everyone watched it. This is in Los Angeles County. And they still held the trial in Los Angeles County because they made the argument that it's like, you're not going to find anyone anywhere who doesn't know about this case. Well, George Floyd case. Right. That yes. happened right there you're, in Minneapolis. You can always find 12 people anywhere who haven't heard about something going on. And so, and not only that, it's not, it, you can't be denied a seat on a jury just because you've heard about a case. It's, have you been influenced to the extent that you can't make a fair ruling in this case? Jury selection will be interesting on this one. No matter where it's held, it will be. Correct. And so, yeah, if they push for change of venue, I mean, I don't know ultimately that it matters where they pull a jury from. And I, I'm sure... The prosecution and the defense have different preferences of what they hope will it's happen. It's largely because of you. Part of it is certainly because of me. Um, but but again, like I said, the podcast is, is well known here in San Luis Obispo County. But if I pull up my charts right now and show you everywhere it's been downloaded, you, you can't find a city where it hasn't been downloaded. Right. And so they're going to have this issue no matter where they go. And yeah. plus, long before I came and where along... Are you take? You're not going to take it to, like, Wichita. I mean, right. where are you going to bring it to Ventura County? Right. Where are you going to bring it to San Mateo County? I mean, where are you going to bring it? Like, right. It's it, going to probably be a neighboring county. Yeah. It would be Kern County or Monterey County. Oh, Kern um, County, he's got no chance. I don't... Look, I mean, the, the evidence is just... In my opinion, the evidence is very much there. And I think he's got a, a chance, but he doesn't have a chance in hell, okay? Because he did it. I mean, in my opinion, he did it. Uh, we got Chris Lambert here. Do you ever think there'll be another chance at him getting a deal a chance hey let us know where she is maybe we'll go second degree maybe we'll go you know maybe it happened as an accident amongst when you were you know uh, obviously you know, you look at the videos and i mean you look at the allegations of the videos that they have of him victimizing other women and you can only put two and two together that, I mean, look, I don't know that this happened on purpose. I don't know that we know that yet. I don't know that he set out to murder Kristen that night. But I know I am so confident that he is responsible for what happened to Kristen. So uh, do you think there's another chance where, hey, Paul, we got you. Let us know where the body's at and we'll maybe work something out. Yeah, that's a question that the district attorney's office could answer better than I could, because I really don't know what they're willing to to offer. Um, what I do know is that I think um, this is as good a time as any. Um, we just spent two months in a prelim that, that probably cost the family hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal representation and uh, commuting and, and everything else. Um and now it's going to go to trial, which is going to be even more expensive and even longer. It's going to be, um, if I were in their position, I would certainly hope that that was offered to me. I, I can't imagine that you would want to go through that again. But then again, maybe they're confident that they've got a good. With everything got you know, a, where do you think she is? If you had to put a hundred thousand bucks that I just give you yeah. on on black or red or where Kristen's at, where do you think she is? That's tough to answer for a few reasons. One. Um, I'm not positive. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. 
Um, but two. But it's not your hundred thousand bucks. It's no, mine. the so hunches where do you that put I it? have, the hunches that I have, I'm not sure that I want the Flores family to know about. You know, the same way yeah. that the sheriff's department probably doesn't want them to know what they know. Um, Would you tell me off the air? Sure. Okay. Yeah, there's some ideas that I have. Um, that and, and there are there are places that have not been searched thoroughly enough, and there are places that have not been looked at all. Mm. And there's also places that I just have suspicion of. And and I hope what I hope for this is that. If there is a plea deal offered, I would hope that the Flores family would be willing to take it now. This would be the best time, and I think it's way more important to the Smart family, and I can't speak for them. I'm just, I, know. I would assume it's more important to them to get their daughter back than it is to see this guy go to jail for it. Right. Um, ultimately, they would like both, but having their daughter back, I think, is their number one priority, and I think... Um, for me, that's always been the top Bring tier. Bring Chris I, home. That's why being accused of having an agenda, or the, as, as Sanger referred to it in the courtroom, a personal crusade that I had turned this case into was so insulting to me because it's like my crusade has nothing to do with convicting Paul Flores. My crusade has always been let's get Kristen back to her family, and if he's responsible, let's see some justice for it, however that pans out. Um, and, you know, once it became clear that he had victimized so many other people, as the allegation has been made, there are videos that were collected in his home of him sexually assaulting unconscious women. And I've talked to a number of unconscious, or sorry, of women who had been unconscious and sexually assaulted. I talked to women who weren't unconscious and remember every detail of what happened to them. I do want to see this guy convicted for this ultimately. I do want to see him pay for the crimes that he committed, but that's not my goal. That's that's the district attorney's goal. My goal is where is Kristen Smart and will somebody please find her and return her to her family? Mm. Even if it's the Flores family. Where is she? And um, yeah, I hope there's some sort of deal that can be struck, but if, so if there's cool. not a deal struck, um, I still think the number one thing is to find out where Kristen is. My mom would always tell me if you do something wrong, if you do this, X, Y, Z, and you get one phone call, don't make it me. Because my, my mom was, she loved me to her core. Yeah. She was all about it. But there's no way that, especially if we're talking about what Paul did to Kristen, there's no way my mom would cover for me. I can't even wrap my head for that reason, how a family could get around their son so much so that they will, like, defend him in this way. Or that, like, go to all accounts, spend every, I mean, their life is now over changed financially everything because of this yeah i I just can't see it you know for all the media coverage that it's already gotten uh that's one of the reasons that i've been paying close attention to the gabby petito case because you have another set of parents who seem to and we don't know the details yet but it seems that they are aware of what their son did and maybe helped him get away or give him like a three-day head start right i was going to ask you that at the end of this i can't wait to so interesting. We have Chris Lambert here. He is from the Your Own Backyard Podcast. Okay, so are, you, you got to, you got to write a book. Are we gonna? Are you gonna write a book? I don't have any plans to, but I I would certainly be willing to do it if it was. Um, you know, if the family was comfortable with it, if uh, the sheriff's department was comfortable with it, if they felt like um, that it would be beneficial in some way. My, my fear is somebody is going to write a book about the Kristen Smart case. Somebody is going to do it. It should be you. And uh, whether it should be me or not, I mean, that's maybe subjective, but I don't think you're going to find somebody who is as passionate no, about it you as won't. I am. No, And that's what it comes down to for me is I just want somebody to Well, here's what a book will do because your podcast is absolutely incredible. Um, but these conversations 
are really, really they're special and it's an it's a side of you again that you don't necessarily offer up often so for people who love your work and love the way you've dove in for this family and for the truth it makes a lot of sense to combine and conflate the the presentation versus the man the behind the scenes right and although these interviews that you give me and my audience they offer us the man and the behind the scenes the presentation is obviously speaks for itself it's the number one podcast in, the, in on planet earth but um i think well, to, to conflate those that's where a book would, would come in handy sure and, and also a big goal if i were going to write a book a big goal for me would be to highlight how unqualified and how unlikely of a person I was to end up in the position that I've gotten myself yeah. into and how what that says for you know we're seeing now with the Gabby Petito coverage and we're seeing a lot of people come out now and say why do some of these cases get all this publicity and there are other cases that are not getting as much publicity and the argument that I would make there is that I did this for Kristen Smart's case because it was local and because it's something I heard about a lot growing up. It mattered to me for those reasons alone. If there's a case that's local to you or a case that you're close to or a case that you are drawn to, maybe you should be the one reporting on it. Maybe we should all be doing our part to try to publicize these missing persons cases, these murder cases that we feel are not getting the amount of coverage they deserve. Push for it too because I never thought in a million years that my push would get this case as much coverage as it's gotten it and it has and i think it has little to do with who Kristen smart was and i think it has everything to do with the fact that this is a travesty and it's a wound in this community and that her parents are still looking and that for me was the biggest draw her parents are still looking and they're still pleading with the community. I remember early on watching an interview with Denise Smart that she had done that I found on YouTube. And the very first thing she was asked in the interview is, what do you want the community to know about your daughter? And she said, I, I would ask, do you know that she's still missing? And that broke my heart because I thought that's her first question is, do you even know that she's still missing? Because no one's looking and no one's talking. And now there's no way to argue that everybody doesn't know. Everybody knows now Kristen Smart is missing. Everyone has a pretty good idea of what happened to her and how it panned out. And we all care. We're all invested. And there are other cases that certainly deserve, the, deserve this kind of attention. And I would make an appeal if I were going to write a book. I'm an ordinary person who achieved this. And if you're if you're just as passionate and if you care and put in the work you could do this with another case random too. house whoever you are wherever the publishers are listening to this this has got to be a book you would be great at the audio version <laughs> you're going to do the audio version of the book you're going to do the audible yeah i could certainly do it in my backyard and not uh, cost too much money too. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously uh we would be in the book the show would be in the book because you came in here <laughs> so we'll definitely do a chapter on these stirring interviews we got chris lambert here of the your own backyard podcast okay as we wrap up i mean other things that happen um that happened that we never talked about were there any other little things that you saw go down that maybe just didn't get any kind of out there or that that really kind of stirred you you know a lot of people i've been paying attention to the questions coming in on my Instagram and a lot of people are, keep asking how am I doing? Yeah. Um, I'm good um, especially now that there's been this ruling I'm good um, it, it was a grueling 22 days in court for everyone who was there um, 
I was certainly one of them. It was tough. I do need some rest. I need to get back to normal life for a little while and breathe for a bit. But I am okay, and I appreciate people asking and that people care. Um, they keep asking how the Smart Family is doing. Again, I'm not a spokesperson for them. Uh, I can't speak for them, but I will say that I think that there's some um, relief that has come from this ruling, while at the same time, you've still got 25 years of uh, their daughter not being found. You can't get that back. Um, the early investigation was certainly, um, it certainly lost them a lot of evidence that could have been beneficial to this case, and it's hard to recover from that now. But all being said, I think we're in a good place. I think for people saying, is there enough here? They've only got circumstantial evidence. How are they going to prove this? Will it hold up with a jury? What I would say is from all of the time that I've invested in as close as I've gotten to this case, everything I've learned, this case was never going to get better with age. We got so lucky that they dug when they did and they found any trace of human blood remaining because it it clearly looks like they disposed of some of the evidence and they tried to clean it up. Um, another thing that we got to see projected on the courtroom wall is that they collected a trailer from the Flores family and they sprayed um, this substance in it. I believe it's called Blue Star. It's like luminol. You know, you've seen forensic files. Of course. They sprayed it and there's, there's Every a episode. big stain in the middle of the floor of this trailer where it looks like something... Um, it, it's again it's it's lighting up on contact with hemoglobin there's some human blood there um with some other possibilities that could have been bleach which is just as damning it's like right. what was being cleaned up in there exactly but the the impression seems to be that evidence was destroyed and so what i'll say is i don't think this case was ever going to get better with age we were going to lose more and more evidence as it went along this might be our one and only shot and, of course, double jeopardy applies here. If Paul is tried and he is let off, then he'll go back out on the streets. But is that worse than him never being tried at all? He's already been on the streets for 25 years. He's already been victimizing other women and would continue to. And so him being spending this amount of time in jail and then having to answer for those crimes in a courtroom is better than it never happening at all and waiting to see if the evidence would get better because I genuinely don't think it would ever get better than this. I think they already missed their window to have this be a, a, a rock-solid case with some kind of uh, smoking gun. And this is a case where you have a totality of evidence that paints a picture. You don't have a smoking gun. This is what we've got, and the options are to let Paul Flores remain free and wait for it to get better, or to try it now. And I'm glad that they're trying it now, and I'm I'm glad it's ended up here. Paul is in custody. Ruben is not. Would you ever meet eyes with Ruben in the hallways of the court or anything like that? Yeah, that was sort of inevitable. We're we're sharing a hallway together, and um, he knows who I am. I know who he is, and I think we both tried to not violate any rules of the court. But there was some there was some tension there. I think for sure that they they're not a big fan of me, and that's understandable. Susan and uh, Susan, I'm sure, is not a fan of mine. Um, were there times that you ever saw them talking about you, or that you interpreted? Maybe you in, maybe you assumed they were talking about you, or pointing at you, or doing anything th like that. There was a lot of pointing and whispering that I saw, um, really? and I don't know what they're discussing, but I'm sure that um, they didn't try to hide it. So I'm sure that they were okay with that. Um, I didn't bother them. I didn't ask them any questions. Um, I'd always be willing to talk to them. I'd always be happy to um, to discuss things with them. I think I've been very polite in the way that I've gone about uh, approaching. A, a lot of witnesses and, and them included i haven't 
harassed them. I haven't left notes on their door. I haven't. I've just sort of let it be, and I'm always. It almost bugs them them. more because if you were kind of a, 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 you know, an a hole and kind of you know rude and this and that, it would almost like see this, see. But the fact that you have kept your head above water in so many different ways, and in in all facets it's it's almost got to bother them even more another another question that i got in my instagram uh story a lot today was who was in the courtroom who was present in the courtroom and what's interesting is um susan flores was present every single day she sat in the front row usually by herself sometimes with an attorney with her but her boyfriend mike mcconville who we all know i mean if you followed this case you know about mike mcconville he, he acted you know weird that. on the ksby stuff too he did right and and he's inserted himself into this case and he certainly uh his name has been publicized he's been charged in the civil suit with um helping to relocate Kristen's body the trailer that they collected for evidence belongs to mike mcconville and what was interesting is mike didn't show up a single day to court he didn't come sit with his girlfriend he didn't come support his uh stepson or whatever you want to call Paul. They're not officially married, but um, he was not there a single day, and I did find that interesting, and a lot of people had asked me that. Was Mike ever present? Mike was never present. Susan was by herself for the majority of the time, and um, there were no other... There were no friends or family members of this Flores family who attended that I ever saw there. so interesting. um, You know, maybe they're keeping their distance or whatever, but that was certainly an interesting scene. And also a lot of people asked what were their reactions when the verdict was read or when the ruling was read, I should say. Um, they didn't have any reaction. They must have known. There's like it's such a one in a trillion chance that this would not have gone to trial. There's, there's zero. There's zero chance that this wasn't going to trial with everything they found. Um, Netflix, big companies, HBO Max. I mean, you have been pursued by big names to let's do something with this. I know that you've been given this blessing by the Smart Family to even just monetize the podcast, which you refuse to do. Is there a time, and maybe I'm telling you, I I feel there's a time where your work can fairly be compensated for. And I don't know if that's a book deal. I don't know if that's working with Netflix to put together what, but I don't know. I just know that you've worked so hard on this and that it has cost you, you know, mental anguish, physical anguish, you know, probably relationship anguish. I can only imagine when I'm deep into something, my life partner, you know, lady I fancy is definitely involved. If she is deep into something, I am involved. And like, you know, and I saw this post on your girlfriend's uh, Insta who I follow and it was like my hero. Like she, you know, this is a huge thing. This must be like a very, this is a big chapter in your relationship even. Sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, think about this, think about uh, when she started dating me in the beginning, I was a musician who was playing once a week in a coffee shop. Yeah. She never saw this coming for our relationship, and she's had to endure it. My my mom has had to endure it. Like, it's it's been trying for people who know me, and it, it has been tough. But um, as far as compensation goes, and as far as like offers from Netflix and all that, one, this is not a case that's suffering for publicity anymore, and so it doesn't feel like a necessary move. To I, you know, Dateline is working on a story about this, and that will air eventually. Um, Twenty Twenty is working on a story. They I all believe, are. And they're all working on stories. This story will be told, whether I'm the one to sell it or not. And but I you don't know why they're making a story. They're making a story because they're going to make money. Sure, it's, and it's, that's it's, their job. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, what their, they do. that's what they do. That's part of why I did this the way that I did it, is I thought th- this is a case that could certainly benefit from somebody who's doing this for the right reasons and not just cashing in. You're an angel. And 
Um, you really I are. I mean, that. I mean, I know, but I mean, yeah. you really have such a pure heart for this that, I mean, the Smart family could not be more blessed to have someone who one gave it the attention that you did, but two did it with the heart that you did it with. I think that's really huge, Chris. I think that's really a, a huge piece of this. Can I ask you a couple questions about Gabby Petito? Sure. Have you been following this closely? A little bit. I mean, when I see a new headline, I check it out to see what's going on. Um, I, I was watching when they discovered her body. And that Do was... any of these give you an inclination to, to, to move on to something different? Probably obviously not now, but what do you think of the Petito situation? I really don't know. I think it's. I, I understand why it's gripping. I, you know, there's a big debate right now about whether this is a case of missing white woman syndrome. I'll say the reason that this one has captured me, and the, the reason I'm paying attention to that one, is because it's such a stark contrast between this, you know, this YouTube life of this this van trip they're going on, and then her boyfriend comes home without her. It's intriguing. It's like what happened. It seems pretty clear that something must have happened, and you keep checking in to see are they going to have any updates. I've been just as captivated by several stories about you know people of color over the years that have come out yeah, that I've followed right. really closely and so um, for me the reason it's intriguing is because there's a there's a hook there what whoa this is a different one this is a different kind of story and it's happening right now yeah it's playing out in real time like this guy's and, getting caught on a deer cam right or then is it him is it not yeah and where is he why, why yeah. are his parents giving him a three-day head start right and that's again like with the Flores family that is part of why this story is interesting to so many people is how often do you see a suspect's family trying to help them get away with the crime that's something that I don't think we see play out a lot it's usually a perpetrator and a victim and you don't usually see the perpetrator's family digging a hole under it's their deck. It's crazy That's, when yeah. that happens. It, it makes it that much more uh, intriguing. Okay, I'm giving you $100,000. Did Laundry do it or not? <laughs> yeah, I think he absolutely. Yeah. I think he absolutely. Um, you following that Murdoch trial? No. Oh, the, no, okay. I haven't heard about that. We'll one. have all we'll talk about. It, yeah, yeah. But, there's, um, there's a lot going on with there's, there's a lot going on right now with this yeah. with the true crime thing. With, with Laundry, I'll say specifically that I have the same sort of. Uh, idea about that I do about Paul Flores. I don't know how she died. I don't know that he intended for her to die, but I absolutely believe that he's the one that disposed of her body and then tried to cover it up and make it look like he didn't. And that's the issue here is you just want them to answer. What? Tell us the story. What happened to our daughter? Like, how did this happen yeah. to the point that you were willing to get in a van and drive back across the country without her and think that we were going to ignore it? Like, what did you right. think would happen? And that's how I felt about the Paul Flores thing, too. It's Just tell us how this happened. The we don't gall. think that you set out to be a murderer, serial killer. It just seems like something went wrong, and you did the wrong thing. You made the wrong decision. And it would have been a lot better for everyone had you just come out and said, I made a huge mistake, and here's how it happened. And I think that's what we're all waiting for with Brian Laundrie. It's like, are you going to tell us what happened? Um, and I think that's why people keep tuning in. And, and sure, there are networks that are taking full advantage of how intriguing this story is. That's an argument to be made separately. But it is an intriguing case for those reasons. There's big question marks that are not being filled in. And there are other stories that are just as worthy of being pursued. And I would argue, you pursue them. You start telling these stories. Like, everybody pitch in and tell these stories. Last question. The next episode, the Your Own Backyard podcast. When can I expect it? I wouldn't expect it if I were you. <laughs> really? I'd sit on it for a bite. Uh, for, for one, it's going to trial. And the way that I was used in the prelim and the way that the podcast was played... You don't even want to play there anymore. It's, it's something that now I'm walking through a minefield. Don't they win a little bit when you do that? No, because I, I, I think that 
when, when I do put out an episode, certainly people are going to pay attention to it. But it's not like I have anything that the prosecution doesn't have that I'm going to release yeah. this big smoking gun. All I'm doing is telling the story. I'm really glad that people enjoy the way that I tell the story or they enjoy my presentation style. Whatever it is that they're coming back to my podcast for, I do appreciate it. And I do... I do see, I've listened to other true crime podcasts, that mine is sort of a, an unusually in-depth one that focuses on the, the minutia of a case and gets into the details. Um, and I'd be happy to do that again. But before it goes to trial, it's going to be tough. Like I said, walking through a minefield of, am I allowed to say this or is that a bad thing? Is this going to come up in the courtroom? Are they going to try to use this witness who's doing the right thing? Are they going to try to use them and say, you only did this because you were looking for the reward money? I mean, that came out a number of times right, in the courtroom right. is it, that they accused me and they accused several witnesses of only being interested in the reward money. And I don't know a single person who's ever even inquired about the reward money. That's a whole that's, separate That's issue. insulting. Have you and, ever been asked by the prosecution or, or, the, or the cops to not do any more podcasts until the trial's done? No. Nobody's asked me to okay. stop ever. Right. Did I interrupt you? Go ahead. No, right. uh, I think I was just saying about the reward money. The the issue with the reward money is that money is reserved for somebody who leads to Kristen Smart's remains, or evidence that leads to Kristen Smart's remains, or information that leads to that. And if I think, you do, would you want the reward money? If I do, I would take the reward money, and I would probably try to. Uh, disperse it to the people I thought were more deserving than I was, or I might give it to a charity that I thought was deserving. Um, Who's it, again, more deserving? People that in the case that, that helped you? People that, that anonymous if, sources? If witnesses came Victims, forward and witnesses? shared their stories and okay. it led to that, of course. But, it, you know, for as much time and energy as I've invested in this case, if tomorrow somebody takes a shovel and dugs, digs up Kristen's body, I would fight for them to get the entire amount. It's whoever leads to the recovery of Kristen Smart is deserving of that reward money. And I don't care who it is. I don't care where it comes from. And I think there's even an argument to be made that if somebody in the Flores family leads authorities to Kristen Smart's remains, that maybe they're one of those people. Interesting. And, and of course, not Paul himself. I don't think they're going to give him reward money. But if a, a nephew, a cousin, a, a, an aunt, if somebody had information that they came forward with, I don't think... Uh, Crime Stoppers, who is the one who has all that money? I think I don't think they'd care who it came from. Yeah, I, I would never even it. asked you that on my list, but if that didn't come up, that's because I would have never even pegged you as like you, you've never even cared about that. So, is there anything that you have not put on the table here that you wish to? I think we got to everything. I don't think so, but I, I think you know it could go on forever. I mean, there's a million questions people have, and I understand that. Will you come back? I'd be happy to come back. Good. You like you like this form. You like this these conversations. I do. I I appreciate you. You really kind of let me stretch my legs and go on longer than I should, and and I appreciate being able to get some of this stuff out in a way that I don't have to sit down and edit a podcast yeah. myself. <laughs> God bless, man. <laughs> well, I really appreciate your time, Chris Lambert, the Your Own Backyard Podcast. Follow him at Your Own Backyard Podcast on Insta. Of course, the blog. Just add a dot com to that, and we can follow. Obviously, you're probably on a little bit of a break right now. You can take a deep breath. I, I should answer this. This one question will kill me if I don't answer it. Am I going to catch up on the days that I have not written about in the blog? Yes, I am. I wow. think I already said that earlier, but just in case it's not clear, sure. um, I missed days 7 through 20. They're in my notebook. I've got to sit there and type up every word by hand. Each one takes me three or four hours to do. It's going to take me a long time to catch up. Please be patient. I promise they will come out because I know they are extensive and people appreciate it. It makes you feel like you are in the courtroom as well, and I want to do that for people. That's, they will come out. That's unbelievable. Um, give. Uh, I, I know there's this kind of buffer right now with the smart family, but you are obviously probably infinitely closer to them than I. 
Sky. So uh, please, anytime that you ever think of it, give them my, my love and support. And you always have my love and support. I appreciate uh, your willingness to come and share your story and just how much this has affected you and uh, you know, with your passion to dig deep into this and to share this with my audience. So thanks a lot, Chris, for, for being up in Adam in the morning. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me again. Wake up with Up and Adam in the morning. I'm having a great time listening to you in the morning. Adam, whoa, are you a great interviewer. Mr. Up and Adam in the morning. I'm Up and Adam in the morning.